0: If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, please? 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're going to uh, finish this letter this morning. 1 Corinthians 16. Kids, I was thinking you're likely done with school now and on to the summer. Is that right? No? Not some of you? Most of you? Well, one of the things that happens in the summer then is you get to play more, and hopefully your parents have some lists of work that you're supposed to be doing, and so you'll have this mix of play and work, and it's important that you do both. If you just play all the time, you can become useless, and you don't want to be that. And if you just work all the time, you can get dull and dreary, and so you want a good mix of both. The mix matters. Same thing with sleep, kids. Uh, you know, the, the school year provides a good schedule and you go to sleep on time and you get up on time because of school and then in the summer that kind of goes away and so you need a good, sl- a good mix of sleep and waking time. And so kids, if you get good sleep, the play and the work go better. And if you don't, they won't. So I was thinking about this idea of a good mix in the preaching of his word and uh, one other thing, this past week we completed our kind of family interviews for the new school Uh, We interviewed 19 different families, nearly 40 different kids, and one of the families on Friday, I think, one of the questions we ask is just about their Christian walk and how they became a Christian and what Christianity is. And one of the um, husband's fathers, responded, It's life. It's my life. Uh, I thought that was an absolutely perfect answer. And sometimes we respond, it's like, Became aware of my sins and I turned in faith to Christ, which is absolutely right. We talk about the events that led us to that maybe moment of crisis in our life. Maybe it was a bad relationship or health or just becoming all too aware of your sin. And, but his answer is just, just it's just life. It's, I, I want to live this life for Christ. It's my life. And uh, Paul in this letter, has provided a mix of different aspects of teachings that we could live our lives fully for Christ. What I want to do in order to kind of conclude this book and wrap it up is I want you to go to back to chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, this idea of the right mixture in your head and we're to live a life. In, in chapter 1, verse 23, we read, "What we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. Again, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, Paul writes, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaim to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. Paul is going to, and he did preach Christ and him crucified, and then what he set out in his letter is just simply to proclaim the gospel. And one of the things that ought to have caught your attention is Paul begins this letter in the first two chapters. I am going to proclaim Christ and Him crucified. I am going to know nothing among you except this gospel of Christ and Him crucified. I'm, n- I'm going to pretend like I don't know anything else except this one great reality that the Son of God took on flesh, lived without sin, bore our sins in his body on the cross, died, buried, rose again. I am going to know nothing except that. And then for the next 14 chapters, he proceeds to explain what this means. And he doesn't talk about Christ and him crucified at all until chapter 15. He rebukes for the next 14 chapters the sin in the church very pointedly, very directly. We could go through it all again. He is dealing mainly with the church that's just very full of themselves, full of pride. And so they're dividing. They divide over who's the best preacher they divide over sexual morality in the church. They divide over lawsuits with each other. They divide over what you can and can't eat. They divide over the Lord's Supper. They divide over whether or not men and women are all that different in worship. They divide over their spiritual gifts, their talents, their abilities. And so Paul spends the next 14 chapters proclaiming Christ to him crucified by bringing the law of God. So here's where we get to the idea of mixture. Paul is a pastor of this church, and he wants to get the mixture right of law or grace. Should I deal with justification here mainly or their sanctification? Should I deal with them needing to know the great love of God for them and Sending Jesus to die or should I help them to know the great love of God and dealing with their sins that I know? What's the mix? What's the right feed mix for this church? Do you understand what I'm getting at? This is what a preacher has to do. When you call a preacher, you're entrusting to him to get to know you well enough to give you the right mix. You do this as parents with your kids. Uh, Constantly. Does my child need law? (laughs) They need the hammer? Or do they need kindness, gentleness right now? Which which is the right mixture? And it can change (laughs) in an instant, can't it? And if you do too much of one and not enough of the other, or the wrong one at the wrong time, you can create a problem. You can make it worse. So this is true in the preaching. Preaching. And Paul's evaluation of the church in Corinth is that they needed way more law than reminders of the sweet kindness of God. And so after he says, I know nothing among you but Christ and crucified, he begins to just deal with their sin very directly. And here's one thing I want you to know. The gospel includes law. The gospel includes God's demands of us. You won't know your need for Christ unless you know your sin. You'll never know how much you need the grace of God until you're aware of the depths of your depravity. So when that man said, what's Christianity? It's my life. What he meant is my life is lived knowing my need for Christ. And it's God's law that makes me aware of that. So that's one way that the law and the gospel are intertwined. Another way is once we come to Christ, once we see our need for Him and we enter into a life lived for the glory of Christ, we want to know how to please Him in detail. And the Bible sets out in great detail in every area of our lives, in our homes, in our workplaces in relation to government, in church, in all areas, what does it look like to live a life pleasing to Christ? And so what we want to do as preachers is know you as a congregation and what you need when you need it. And Paul has decided in this letter it's almost all law. It's almost all law. As opposed to the letter to the Romans There he spends 12 out of the 16 chapters, just basically all gospel, all what God did for us in Christ to justify us. And then in the last four chapters, he brings some law. So there's a two-thirds to one-third mix there. If you look at Ephesians, it's about a one-to-one. The first three chapters are just all grace, and the last three chapters are all, here's how to obey. And so that, that's what we're trying to do. And one of my purposes of going through this letter, as I've said many times, I think one of our deficiencies here, and one of the great deficiencies in the American evangelical churches, we really have lost any idea of what pastoral ministry is to be, and what all, what we demand of our preachers is just grace, no law. What you demand is to be leaving having had a positive emotional experience where you feel good about yourself. You'll allow a preacher to preach law as long as he's preaching law generally. (laughs) You know what I mean? As long as he's keeping it vague. Enough where he has plausible deniability where somebody comes to him and says, you don't really ever deal with sin. Well, yeah, I did. I, I said that. You know, being gay is a sin. He kept it general, but he doesn't ever specifically deal with the sins of his people. We'll allow that. Or if we're just talking about sins of the world, we really like that. If we just talk about sins of the liberals. As long as a preacher does that, as long as he doesn't get too political, then we'll allow that. But he can't get after me. So the old saying is the preacher was doing well until he got to Messin. And I, I don't know if you've been paying attention at all through this letter, Paul is messing in detail, very specifically, sometimes with names. And you know, this letter was sent back to the congregation and read audibly, publicly in front of them all, names included. So we've got to get the right feed mixture here. Why? So we can live our lives for Christ. So that we don't just be those kind of Christians that say we love Jesus, but don't. So you don't get to the end of your life and stand before Christ and, say, and, and hear him say, you were ashamed of my words. Instead, well done, good and faithful servant. Why? Because you've lived your life. Now, the danger is, of course, for the preacher is to just fall into the air of one to the neglect of the other. Either all nice or all hard. Either all you're good people and there's a good God and it's going to work out in the end, so live your best life here and now and that kind of stuff, or just hammer, 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 hammer. and my evaluation if you want to know of our congregation is you all are doing pretty well it, it, it is a delight to pass through you we've been interviewing a candidate for the worship ministry we had a time this past tuesday elders and wives and he and his wife and it's encouraging to hear the elders and their wives talk about what a joy it is to be a part of this church not just the shepherding just to be a part of it it's really enjoyable it's a delight I was even thinking this morning as we were singing. I've, we've talked a lot about singing. We've talked a lot about men singing. We've talked a lot about volume. We've talked about a kind, and you all have taken to it. You sing. It's, it's very encouraging. And so the place that I think we need the most work is for you to gladly accept the kind of pastoring that gets into your business, particularly when you don't want it. Do <laughs> you know what I mean so that's been this letter in chapter 16 which I'll read in a moment I know that's a lengthy introduction but you know we spent three years in this book so in chapter 16 Paul is concluding he's tying up some loose ends and he's basically talking about relationships is it How to love others. He does so generally among Christians. By talking about some very specific instances, he provides some really helpful teaching to you and I on how to love each other as Christians in general. But then specifically, he deals with relationships with shepherds in the church, pastors and elders, those sent by God to the church to lead. That's all I want to do in this sermon is conclude with that. Generally, how to love each other as Christians, how to live this life with other believers, please the Lord, and then particularly, specifically, how to relate to me, to elders, to deacons, how to relate to the worship pastor, God willing, if we call one one day and y'all vote for him. How do you do that? So let me read these verses, pray, and then do those two things. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work is open to me, and there are many adversaries." When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him, help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urge him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, Act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence. For they refresh my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca together with the church and their house send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, Come. The grace of the Lord be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we want to keep our way pure, and so help us to guard it according to your word. Help us now with our whole hearts to receive and then not wander for your commandments, having stored them up in our hearts that we might sin against you. Help us even now to delight in your statutes and never forget your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 starts with this phrase that Paul has used repeatedly throughout the letter, now concerning. In verse 17, we note that three men came from Corinth to Paul Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. Achaicus. Uh, It's likely that when Paul says, now concerning, he said earlier in the letter, now concerning about the matters that you wrote, that the church in Corinth sent a letter to Paul with these three brothers, and Paul's responding to it with this letter that he'll be sending back with them. It's kind of fun. We have the names, the men who brought the letter and the ones who would be returning with it. And so what they're asking about that Paul's responding to here in the first four verses of chapter 16 is issues to do with finances in the church to be used to support the saints in Jerusalem who are suffering famine. They're going through a drought. They're starving. They don't have enough. And Paul is ordering the churches in Greek-speaking areas to give that the money could be brought back to Jerusalem so the Christians there might have what they need for life. Then Paul continues on with some of his own Travel plans. He's going to pass through Macedonia. Maybe he'll stay with them, perhaps for the winter. He'll be in Ephesus, at least until Pentecost, and Timothy's coming. Make sure you take care of him. And then he he deals with other men and, and so on. And then he closes with these final greetings that we see in verse twenty-one that he wrote with his own hand. He notes that because he didn't write the entire letter himself. He dictated it to another who wrote it. But then at the end he said, Give me the pen. I want to make sure that they know that this is from me personally, and he does so in order to communicate to them that he loves them, and that it comes to the authority of one called by Christ. And so it's got that twofold meaning there. So the two main truths of this section are how to treat each other, and how to relate and love your pastors and elders and deacons. That's it. We could go into some of the historical detail, but that's probably not going to be as helpful to you as taking from here. How does Paul tell them to relate to each other, to other Christians? And how does Paul instruct them and in to relate to their leaders? It's very simple. So, how do you love your neighbor as yourself? It's practical, isn't it? This is good for your marriage. It's good for your relationships with your children, children with your parents. It's good for your friendships with your brothers and sisters in the church. It's good for your work relationships. because our Christian life is a life and that life is lived in thousands of interactions a week with people. So you need instruction on how to do that in a way that's going to be pleasing to the Lord and how to do that in a way that's going to be loving to them and how to do it in a way that will work. So the Bible is very practical here. Some of you are rather awful at this. People don't like you very much. You have a hard time getting along with others. It first manifested itself on the playground. (laughs) I have that problem from time to time. Never with my wife or children. So the Bible wants to help you live a life in relationship to others that is helpful, loving, pleasing to the Lord. So let's go through a few considerations. First, you'll notice that Paul gets into Nitty gritty details. He tells them exactly how they're to deal with these financial issues. He tells them when to store up the money, even how much they're to store up, according to how wealthy they are. He talks about who's going to bring the money back. He gets into real details about his travel plans, about others' travel plans. He tells them how to relate to others. Details matter in your Christian life. Details matter. Detail matters in how you love others. Look at how the depth of details that Paul goes into for the sake of the church. He doesn't leave them guessing. So how can you love others? Try not to leave them guessing. This is something Manny and I wrestle with. I'm not a detailed person. She is. And I'm learning after 20 years of marriage that she cares about details. And she's learning after 20 years of marriage that I don't. So, love the other person. Fill in the gaps for him. Don't leave them guessing. Second thing we can learn from the details is the Lord cares about the details. The Lord cares about every nook and cranny of your life. That's really good news. He means to sanctify it all from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. He he, he means to get down into the details of your life. And your calling is to submit the details of your life to him. Everything beginning to end. And then as Paul deals with the details, he tells them what to do. Again, let's look at verses 1 to 4. I don't want to get into how to tithe here necessarily, but just the fact that Paul is telling them to do it. Look at what he says. I directed the churches in Galatia, and so now, now also I'm going to direct you. This isn't a matter, the details aren't a matter of chapter and verse in the Bible. The principle is that Christians should take care of each other. We're a family. Even Christians in other regions of the world should take care of each other. We're well aware of this. But notice that Paul doesn't just direct them to provide financial care for the saints in Jerusalem. He tells them how to do it. And he tells them, amount. On the first day of the week, Sunday, this gives us some background on the Christians at this time already. We're worshiping no, no longer on Saturdays, but on the Lord's day, the day of his resurrection on Sundays. He wants them to be saving up their money throughout the week and bring it on Sunday so that when he comes, he doesn't have to go around to each of them and gather it and waste his time. He wants good order. So save your pennies. Monday through Saturday, bring it to church on Sunday and leave it so that when I come, as I pass through, I can just collect it all. Does that bother you? I wonder if Paul was here preaching this, you would say, well, that's just your opinion. Show me in the Bible where I have to do that. So how do we relate well to others? Well, listen to those in authority is really helpful, even in the details. Kids, this summer your parents are going to tell you to do something, and they're going to tell you how to do that something. And you're going to be tempted to say, Mom, I know how to do that. And when you say, Mom, I know how to do that, you know what you're doing? You're trying to keep authority from her. Because you... You don't want to just say, okay, mom, be glad to. Because that would take humility and you're proud. (laughs) And you want to make sure that mom knows that you'll do it, but you'll do it because you want to, not because of how she wants you to. And so Paul expects them just to do it. And you know what? If you do that well, if you'll listen to those in authority over you, your life will go really well. It'll be happy. Now, I'm not saying you listen to somebody when they're telling you to do something wrong. I'm not saying that if somebody tells you to do something and you know that it's going to not work really well, that you could humbly say, okay, I'm glad to listen to you, but have you considered? It's great. But that you should cultivate in yourself this relationship to others that when they ask for help or when they direct you to do something, especially those in authority, that your heart is, yes, glad to, right away, all the way, gladly. Gladly. That's what Paul's expecting, even in the details. Now, those details do, as I've said, include finances. So you can love others financially. How? In Ephesians 4.28, we read, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. We sung in the song, Sing, men of Christ, sing louder, whatever the title of it, it was. Come, men of Christ, be strong. We work for our reward. God has created us to work. We labor doing honest work with our own hands, back to Ephesians 4.28. Why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. How can you love others? Well, you can love others by working hard, generating wealth, and using that wealth to provide for your own family so you're not dependent on others. And then when somebody else is in trouble, to help. It's a very loving thing to do. And I can commend you for that. We see that all the time happening here. Most of the ministry here is of the unknown, unquantified kind where you see a need and out of your own stuff, you just meet it. So keep that up. That's a real mark of a loving, healthy church when you care for each other out of what you have earned. So men, this is one of the main reasons God has you on this earth to in partnership with your wife, build household wealth so that you can help others. It's a really good and high calling. And then notice how thoughtful, intentional, and orderly this is. These people would have to have some kind of a budget. Right? If they didn't have some kind of an orderly budget, they wouldn't have anything left over. They wouldn't have anything to store up through the week to bring on Sunday. Sunday after Sunday is when Paul came, there was a good bunch there. So they're very orderly in their finances and their lives so they could care for others. That's helpful. Another thing we see in How to Love Others Well is there is this consistent talk of people going to be with other people. Paul says, I plan to come visit you. I'll maybe even spend the winter. Timothy is going to come to you. See that you take care of him. I strongly urge Apollos to come, but he didn't want to, but he'll come later. You sent Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus. They made up for your absence. They were refreshing to me. So how do you love others? Be with them. Go to them. Spend some time. Now, if you're in laws, don't spend too much time. Right. Yeah. Right. You have to measure it. Paul says that this financial generosity would be best delivered face to face. You can send some people that you accredit, I'll probably go with them. It'd be best if we bring this money with representatives from your church so they can deliver it face to face. It's joyful. They're not giving anonymously. They want to have the face-to-face interaction so they can enjoy it. Paul's going to visit face-to-face. They sent people face-to-face. This is needed in our age. It's becoming more and more impersonal. Right? Our age where a lot of our communication is electronic, there's nothing wrong with electronic communication. It could be very helpful. But you've seen it. You've been at restaurants where you see a couple or a family around a table and none of them are looking at each other. And so we try to make a big deal at our church of this kind of being personally, physically present with each other. It's very loving to go and be with somebody. So brothers and sisters, keep visiting those who are elderly and by themselves. Do it more and more. Parents with young children, look through the directory, look at somebody who might be living alone, and call them and set a time to go do something with them. Visit one of our saints in the nursing home, face to face. Not a phone call, not an email, not a text. Go and be with them. This is uh, love in this sense, means being there. Why? Because that's what our Savior did for us. He became incarnate, though God eternal, took on flesh and dwelt among us. He came near to those who were far off. This is true with spouses. Spouses got to be with each other. This is true with your children. It's not about quality time. It really is about quantity time. Dinners together face to face. Playing. Sundays is a day of rest. Set aside for you to enjoy your family, have others over. It's true for anyone who wants to do ministry here. We are just totally unwilling to let somebody have consistent teaching or preaching ministry who isn't here present, engaged with each other. This is why we didn't do a men's conference speaker via the TV. We wanted them personally present here. There, there is this loving presence. Lastly in this section, look at towards the, the end. The churches of Asia send you greetings. They, they send you hearty Greetings. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet another one with a holy kiss. I write this greeting in my own hand. This might seem like a small thing, small potatoes, but notice the warmth and care expressed. We don't just greet you, we send you hearty greetings. Have you ever been over to somebody's house and when you arrive, they make a big deal out of your arrival? They maybe put up even a sign. Maybe the kids do. It's really cool. It's all misspelled and everything. Some letters are really big and some letters are really small and they get to the edge of the paper, they get really, really small. They maybe meet you at your car and don't wait for you to walk to the house. They greet you well. It's just another part of our saying to somebody else, I love you, I'm very glad that you're here. You matter to me. But what about this issue with greet each one another with the holy kiss? You might remember back when I preached on head coverings for women, one of the arguments against that is that that's just cultural. I think that's rubbish. It's not not just a cultural thing there. I think that when people don't want to obey the Bible, their, their first way to disobey is to say it's just cultural. If you ever find yourself saying it's just cultural, a little alarm should be going off in your head that you probably just don't want to obey that part. And so if I'm going to be consistent, it's likely we should be greeting each other with a holy kiss. You first. (laughs) We should probably be doing it. But a handshake or a hug will do. But it's just conveying the truth that you have no dearer relationship than the person who's there with you right there. That's something. That's something. So... Be the kind of person who doesn't just greet but gives hearty greetings. Love as you'd want to be loved. Kids, if you would like, one of the ways you can do this for your dad or wives for your husband is when he comes home, make a big deal out of it. You want a specific application? Maybe you already do this. I love it when my kids do this. Greet them well. All right, real quickly, I'm going to transition. Paul speaks a lot about how to relate to leaders, especially pastors and elders. I, I want to again commend you. As I was writing, uh, Dennis was on for prayer this morning, and I send out my sermon notes to the person who's on prayer, and Dennis saw my outline and said, make sure you tell the saints of how well they love us as leaders. It's completely true. It is incredible how well you have loved us. Now, some of you could do better, not once you get too big of heads. Right? Some of you have sinned against us, that's true too. But by and large as a whole, it is a delight to be your pastor. And I think the elders and deacons would say the same thing. It really is encouraging. A few years back, one of our elders was telling a story again on Tuesday evening with the worship pastor and his wife of, this is, decades ago already, 15 plus years ago in our church that we had a guest speaker in training small group leaders. And after a day or so of the training, the small group leader who was from out of town was frustrated. And he told the, the small group leaders present there that the problem that you have as a church, you don't love your pastor. You don't support him. You don't respect him. You don't love him. And uh, I'm glad to say that that is no longer the case here. I mean that sincerely and genuinely. I, I I don't want to flatter you. So keep it up. Keep it up. So in verse 15, we read that these saints have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. So what leaders do is they devote themselves to you. What a husband does is devote himself to his wife. What parents do is they devote themselves to their children. What church fathers and mothers do is they devote themselves to their church children. What city fathers and mothers do is devote themselves to their children's citizens. What job fathers and mothers do is devote themselves to their workers. And so that's what we want to do for you. What should you do for us? Verse 16, be subject to them. Subject yourselves to them. Notice this. You have to do it. It's a matter of your will. It's not something that we take from you. It's something that you give. You have to consent for us to lead you. And so, please do. Please do. It'll be good for you and it'll be good for us. Second, we see verse 18. Give recognition to them. Recognize them. Let them know when they're doing it well, not only when you didn't like that song. Or why did you change the lyrics to crown him with many crowns? Talking to you, Mark. (laughs) Right? Let them know. Commend them. You want to build this kind of household at your home where you commend a job well done? And then we see in verses 10 and 11, put them at ease among you. Don't despise them. Let them be at peace. I'd consider you to meditate on that, keep, but keep going. There is a, an epidemic of pastors lasting very short times in their pastorates. I talk to pastors, not infrequently, from other places, and they're getting beat up pretty good by their churches. Critical people, people who say one thing to to do another. It's really hard. And so, put them at ease. Don't despise them. Love them. And again, I want to commend you. You're doing it well. Well, Paul concludes with this very warm greeting that also contains a shocker. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema or let him be damned. And then come Lord Jesus. I believe what Paul is doing here is he's reflecting back in this entire letter and the people within the Corinthian church who are doing eternal harm to the people. And Paul is saying they say they love Jesus, but they don't. May they face judgment when Jesus comes. So what can you pray for people who are harming others? There it is. Then he concludes with this grace of the Lord be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. You know, Paul has just written a very, very difficult letter. But he concludes he wants the grace of the Lord Jesus to be with them. And he wants to remind them all that his love be with them all in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, may none here be found under this curse because they do not love your son. And instead, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with them. May our love as elders and pastors and deacons be with them all in Christ Jesus. Pray now that as we move to the table, that you would help us to receive it with trembling and fear, but with great gratitude because You, your love for us in Christ is incredible. So God, take this word and apply it to us now. Help us to live it. In Jesus' name, amen. The charge is this, from 1 Corinthians sixteen, thirteen, and 14. Be watchful. So, be on guard. Guard yourself. Guard those you love. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. And amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord, and I love you.